we've just finished a series on life-giving community, and today is the first Sunday of Advent. And traditionally in church history, uh, Advent's been celebrated since, you know, the 6th century. And Advent is a, comes from a, a Latin term, Adventus, which means the arrival, the approach. We're anticipating Jesus' approach to us. And to some of you, that might seem boring and over-familiar. But the fact of the matter is that this is amazing. The approach, the arrival, God is coming to us. We're no longer trying to get, we're not approaching him, he's approaching us. So as we celebrate Advent together, we're remembering that we're preparing, like we sang this morning, prepare him room, every heart, let every heart prepare him room. And we want to look specifically at hope this morning and journey together what it means to be a people of hope in a hopeless world. And I wanted to start with a small story of uh, a Little League baseball game to illustrate this. So the story goes that there's this old man and he approaches a Little League baseball game. And as he's coming up to the dugout, he approaches this, uh, this boy in the dugout and he said, hey, um, what's the score? And the little boy goes, it's 18 to nothing. We're behind. And the old man says to him, well, man, I'd be so, aren't you discouraged? Like, you guys are getting crushed. And he's like, and the little boy goes, why would I be discouraged? We haven't even got a chance to bat yet. <laughs> it's the top of the first. You get it? Okay. So in the face of extreme hopelessness, we're called to keep our eyes on the impossible and the invisible. He hasn't gotten a chance to bat yet. We're called to look again. In Advent, we're called to take another look at Jesus coming and, and await with anticipation his return. Just like the little boy in, in the dugout, we're called to have an outlook of it ain't over till it's over. The best is not behind us, it's before us. No matter how young or how old you are or what stage of the Christian journey you're at, the best is always yet to come, always. We don't have it all figured out. We have so much to learn and to grow into no matter at what stage of life we're at. The best is yet to come, always. Hope always looks forward. And this is the mark of a hopeful person. You'll find that a hopeful person always looks forward in a culture that's nostalgic and always looks back. One of my all-time favorite movies, and it might be one of your favorite movies as well, is The Shawshank Redemption. Do you guys know this? Many of you know this. For those of you who don't, The Shawshank Redemption uh, focuses on the lead character, um, Andy Dufresne. And Andy Dufresne is a mild-mannered, quiet-spirited banker guy. And Andy is uh, falsely accused and charged with his wife's murder. And he's sent to prison. And the prison is governed by um, Warden Norton. Do you remember this guy? I mean, totally uncompromising, very rigid. He's corrupt. Life inside the prison is even harsher. Red, played by uh, Morgan Freeman, is a prisoner who befriends Andy. He's in there for life. And 
he puts that first night in a way uh, that's just great. He says that um, once those bars slam home, that's when you know it's for real. A whole life blown away in the blink of an eye. Nothing left but all the time in the world to think about it. So Andy's very intelligent. As you remember, he's co-opted by the warden to run the books in the prison. And henceforth, he embezzles money. He devises schemes that are very clever to launder the, the funds that are flowing into the prison. And also, he's given responsibility as well. Do you remember he founds a, a library for the prison? And this also provides concessions for the fellow inmates, such as cigarettes or a beer on top of a, on top of a, uh, a roof after they've, after they've got done tarring it on a hot day. He's given privilege in, in the prison. He's also given it, uh, access to a record player. And on one day, Andy locks out the guards out of this office. Do you remember where the record player is? And he starts playing this uh, record player with these two Italian opera singers. And this is amazing how Red describes this record. He says, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. The truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are better left unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words, and it makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was as if some beautiful bird had flapped into our drab little cage and made these walls dissolve away. For the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. So unlike Red, Andy retains a sense of hope. Hope that life can be more than the hellhole of the prison. Hope that he can one day be released and to live again. Remember, he, he gives Red this harmonica. Because Red had mentioned to him that he used to be a harmonica player. And Andy comments after Red starts playing, here's where music makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget that there are some places in the world that aren't made out of stone. That there's, there's something inside of you that's yours that they can't touch. Then one day, two decades after Andy enters the prison, he's not released. But it turns out for those two decades, hope has driven him to dig a tunnel through the prison walls to escape. Remember behind the Rita Hayworth poster on his wall? No one knew about it. Andy then crawls through the tunnel through the stinkhole of a sewer to freedom. And then he goes to the bank where he set up all of the false accounts under the name Randall Stevens. You remember the phantom that Andy's created? And he withdraws all of the money from those accounts and thus exposes the warden for his corruption back at the prison. And he takes this money and gives some of it to Red. Red is still in jail and then he's finally paroled. But he longs to return to the world he knows because he's struggling to cope with how the world outside has changed. He wants to go back to prison. He remembers a conversation he had once with Andy about a secret hiding place in the wall of a windblown field. And there's a box there. And there's an envelope inside of the, a rock that doesn't, inside of the stone wall with, marked by a rock that 
obviously doesn't belong there. And the envelope is marked with Red's name on it. And there's a letter from Andy. And the letter reads like this. Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out and you've come this far. Maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you and finds you well, your friend Andy. And Red goes over the letter and holds the money in his hand and he sets off for his friend. And in the narrative, he tells us this. I love it. This is my favorite. He says, I find I am so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it is excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. Well, Red does make it, and the film closes with Red and Andy reunited by the sea working on that boat together. And the message rings out loud and clear that fear, fear can hold you prisoner, but hope can set you free. Hope can set you free. And I wanted, I wanted us to be encouraged this morning that if we feel hopeless in this world to fix our eyes upon Jesus again, we'll find freedom there. He is the great light that we're going to read about this morning. We often say things like, it's tough, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's tough right now, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I want that to be a mark of who Vineyard Cleveland people are, a people who actually behold the light at the end of the tunnel, that we begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel is not as far away as we once thought. He's made our way, his way to our neighborhood. He's bent down low. As we sang this morning, he's the humble king that came to us. The great light is closer than we think. He stooped low to become like us. By giving his yes to the Father and dying on the cross, he denied himself and went to the cross. He came in Advent to die. Vineyard Cleveland's called to be a hope-filled people. I want us to be known as a place where hope is easily accessible, where people, there's no barriers. If people who are hopeless walk through those doors, that they can easily find hope in and among the hearts who are gathered here this morning. I want us to be folks who carry the great light of his presence within us to change the city around us. A friend of mine said once that Advent reminds us to look again, to see, to look again. Look until our hearts are healed with hope. Look and, until our eyes are filled with hope. We're called to look again. This Christmas season, let's be reminded of the hope that we carry. That we're called to look again, especially when things look bleak or hopeless. Let's allow our hearts to be healed with hope and our eyes to be filled with hope. Let's pray together. Father, we, just, we recognize that you are the God of hope. You give us hope when all we see are hopeless situations. But you give us courage to hope again this morning. 
I pray that you would speak to those who have come this morning and who feel like they're without a voice or feel like they're lost or just drifting on, a, on an open sea. And pray that you would come, you would meet with all of us this morning, no matter where we find ourselves in the journey. God, you are our hope. We put our hope in you. And pray that you would reveal Jesus, Father, that you would pull back the covers and reveal Jesus as the great light. I pray that you would use, use what I say to impact folks in a positive way. I pray that some would come to put their faith in you and some would come to put their faith in you again this morning. We, we pray collectively, come Holy Spirit, come and fill us with your presence. Amen. Okay, so first hope. G.K. Chesterton once said that hope means hoping when things are hopeless. Or it's no virtue at all. It's, what he's saying is it's easy to hope when things are going smooth. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is a mere flattery or platitude, he says. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. You see, hope is strong when things seem bleak. The kingdom rests on weakness. Hope rises up in us when things are bleak or when things seem hopeless. Oftentimes we believe that our expectations are too high, but normally the exact opposite is true. Our expectations are far too low. We expect too little from a God who is the great light. Not that he should bend to our expectations as if we are in control. We're not in control. He's on the throne. Jesus is, is on the throne and he commands destinies this morning. But I believe he would also be calling us to raise our expectations about who he is and how he sees the world. That's why the writer of Hebrews calls hope an anchor for our souls. It's an anchor for our souls. A place where we can find rest and, and freedom when times are difficult. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, the writer of Hebrews says, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. There's an anchor for our souls in this troubled world that's riddled with its problems and its wars. It's called hope, and it's in the person of Jesus. He's the anchor for our souls. That's what hope is. And again, from the writer of, of Hebrews, he he writes, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What is it that you're hoping for this morning? What are you hoping for this morning? There may be something in you that is, has given up or given in to the situation you find yourself in. What I hear in Isaiah 9 too is, don't give up. Don't give up. The greatest light is dawning. You may be struggling through tough financial times. Don't give up. On you, the great light has dawned. You may be experiencing tough times at your workplace. Don't give up. On you, the great light has dawned. You may be dealing with thoughts of suicide or depression. Don't give up. On you, the great light has dawned. There's an anchor for our souls this morning. There's an anchor to keep you from drifting. You hold steadfast to the person of Jesus. 
and you can see the world with fresh eyes. Hope is the anchor for your soul that you've been looking for. And it's in the person of Jesus. Now, the funny thing about hope is that it requires us to keep our eyes, to fix our eyes upon unseen things. This is an impossible assignment. It's foolishness to the world to keep your eyes fixed upon things that are invisible. (laughs) Oh, really? You see invisible things. You're fixing your eyes upon invisible things. Man, you're smart. You are great. That's what the world thinks. It's an impossible assignment. But I'll tell you what, it's better than the alternative to keep our eyes fixed on the things that are seen. You see, because hope recognizes that the seen things are playing a role in our circumstances and realizes that things may be bad right now. Hope doesn't deny the existence of the things that aren't right in our situation. Hope is not in a state of denial. You know, like the attitude of like, things are going great in my life. I'm fine. I'm okay. I have no problems in my life. You know, they're grinding their teeth because they're not doing well. None of you would know anything about that. None of you have said anything like that before. Of course. No, but what hope does say is that things may not be good right now in my life. But I believe that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. Things have to get better because I believe that God is in control. I'm not shaping my future. I'm not struggling to command my own destiny. God is in control. Jesus is on the throne. He sat down. That means his work is finished at the cross. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And there he sits today. He doesn't sit far off, but he sits down at the right hand of the Father, which is also in the very center of our hearts. He's not withdrawn. He's sitting on the throne in your heart. Not to just take up space. It's not like a troubled roommate situation where you've just become, you know, maybe that is. Maybe, maybe some of you need encouragement this morning. Your relationship with Jesus is not a relationship at all. It's become like a disgruntled roommate or co-worker. He's in there, but he wants me to keep everything clean. Why does he have all these demands? <laughs> maybe that's you this morning. Maybe, I don't know, but hope, but hope says things have to get better because I believe that God is in control and I'm not on the throne of my life. When, when our hearts say these things, that God is in control, when we begin to say this in our hearts, our eyes begin to see through the mist of pop culture optimism. Our eyes begin to remove the veil of the power of positive thinking. And we begin to fixate upon the things that are unseen that the writer of Hebrews is referring to. When we begin to believe that the truth is that God is in control, that Jesus is on the throne, that things unseen become so much more solid than the things we once believed were the most visible. It's the only thing we can hold on to. And this is when hope gives up as well. It seems like an oxymoron, but hope gives up. When we begin to have hope, We begin to give up our striving and give up trying to make our situation better. We give up on self-improvement. We give up on struggling to command our own destiny. 
Hope is at its strongest when we feel at our weakest. We're not ignoring that we're dwelling in the land of the shadows of death. Isaiah 9, 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We're not ignoring the fact that we live in a land of deep darkness. We live in a temporary world. But what hope does say is in the midst of the shadow of death, in the midst of a land of deep darkness, on me, on my heart, on my mind, my circumstances, and my actions, a great light has dawned. The light has dawned. Jesus has come. He's took on flesh and become like us to show us that God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We can have hope because the great light has dawned. And you ask, well, what about disappointment? So that's great to talk about in theory. That's great to have hope. Good for you, pastor. Tell us about disappointment. I've gone out on the limb and my hopes have been dashed. What about disappointment? What part does hope play in that? Well, I'd like for you to consider the following. Remember a time when something went exactly as you planned. Now think of a moment in your life when something wonderful happened like a new love or friendship or a job opportunity that you hadn't expected? Wasn't the latter an even greater blessing than knowing what to expect? You see, to have hope is to be reminded that life isn't something to be controlled by us. Just because life isn't working out the way that you want it to doesn't mean that life will not work out. God is working in the disappointments He's working in them. He's working to bring about solid hope in your life. This morning, he's working even now. You may have said, I I had hope, but now it's gone. Nothing good can come from this, you say. You might say, I feel lost. I don't deserve to be disappointed this way. There are too many pieces to pick up. But the truth is, is that you are not alone. You're not alone. God is with you in your struggle. He's not indifferent to your struggle. He's constant when life is unpredictable. You can see more in your life than simply your circumstances. You can hope this morning anything is possible. Life is not the sum of one plus one equals two. Life's mysteries are not an attack on your dreams. They're an invitation to Jesus' presence. Let me say that one again. Life's mysteries, the confusing things of life. Why does this happen? Why does Life's mysteries are not an attack on your dreams. They're simply an invitation to Jesus' presence. We don't have to have it all figured out. What should we expect then? Well, we should expect Jesus' presence if you claim Jesus as Lord here this morning. That's what you get in times of appointment and in times of disappointment. You get him. And he's better than the best gift that the world could ever give. You get his presence. That's what you get. Ding, 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 winner. You get Jesus' presence. That's the best thing of all. You get his faithfulness. You get the truth of his word that he'll never leave you or forsake you. That in your desperation, he hears you. He's Emmanuel, God with you. 
Even though you may feel abandoned, you're not. Feelings are not the best barometer of God's presence. God is with you. And now, light. Light is often synonymous with knowledge or revelation, sometimes with joy in the scriptures. It's like that moment in the movie Despicable Me when Gru gets a a great idea and he says, light bulb. (laughs) It's like revelation. In the scriptures, that's what revelation is referring to. Indeed, God is light. There's no darkness in him. It's all over the scriptures, John 1, 5, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. John 12, 35, Jesus said to them, yet a little while is with you the light. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come on you. Ephesians 5, 14, awake you that sleep and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. John 1, 4, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So what's the prophet Isaiah saying to us that a great light has come? What does that mean? It means that the world today is a very dark place. It means today that the world is a very dark place. We're reminded every day on the news, both local and on the world scene, that there is darkness But Jesus comes as the great light. He comes at a time in the Jews' history in which they're experiencing quite a bit of darkness. There's so much hope packed in this little verse that a great light has dawned. The great light that Isaiah is speaking about is the light of the world. It's the sun of righteousness. He's Jesus. He's speaking about a, a person and that he's come to a specifically dark corner of the world. No one thought he could come. For real, every, no one expected Jesus to show up where he did. Isn't that just like hope? No one expected him to come from Nazareth, they said. Could anything good come from Nazareth? That place? He chooses the darkest places to show up. Isn't that the most amazing thing about the Father's heart? That he chooses the darkest places to show up. That's always like him. He's always doing this. Nah, the father, he's so good. He's always like this. He's always showing up in the darkest places. When we believe that things are hopeless, that's the exact place that he chooses to bring hope. This is the mark of Jesus' ministry, showing up to the darkest places, the most broken places, the unfixable situations. That's who Jesus is. Can I worship him for a second? Okay, here we go. Because Jesus was born for our benefit of all believers and of sinners from the beginning to the end of time. Just lift him up. We just start to lift Jesus up and he comes, his presence comes, just starts walking among us. He's called wonderful later in this passage. He's wonderful. Jesus is wonderful because he's both God and he's he's man. He's fully God and fully man. He's wonderful. He's the wonder of angels and burning hearts He's the counselor because he is the mind of God. He's the perfect thought of God over your life. If you ever want to know how the Father thinks about you, well, what did Jesus do and what did Jesus say? That's how God thinks about you. He's the perfect thought of God over your lives. That's why he's called the wonderful counselor because he gives the most perfect advice. No one teaches like Jesus teaches. No one teaches in as much compassion as Jesus teaches. No one changes people's hearts like Jesus changes people's hearts by just a word. He speaks a word and the situation changes. 
No one has the power to do that. He's the wonderful counselor. He's also the prince of peace. When his kingdom comes in fullness, there'll be no more wars. Isaiah says that the government rests upon his shoulders. That means that authority has been given to him. Earthly authority, earthly kings have to bow the knee to the name of Jesus, to the lordship of Jesus and creation. All authority has been given to him. There's no end to the increase of his peace. That's what Isaiah is saying about Jesus. That's what you need to figure out this morning. Because you're at a crossroad. You're at a crossroad this morning. And God is now talking to your heart. Come home. This is who he is. See, when we lift him up, he comes around. He starts to walk in the the room. He's the great light. The light's dawning. You're at the crossroad and the light is dawning. And in John 8, 12, we read, Then Jesus spoke again to them. He said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What's he saying? This week as I was um, preparing, I just felt like I got a really good nugget from the Lord. And I wanted to share it with you. And it deals with like the timing of this verse. So during some of our early days together, started talking about rest. Do you remember? And we talked about Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, um, where Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And we also talked about how Jesus said that he is like living water. So in John eight twelve, this is just after he said, I'm like living water. This is so cool. You guys are going to love this. So Jesus is saying this, in the context of the Jewish festival of Sukkot, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And what would happen at the Feast of the Tabernacles is that the temple was gloriously illuminated. So picture this. There's like four candelabras, and they're gigantic. They're huge. It says they're 50 cubits high. A cubit is like 18 to 22 inches. So these candelabras are like 75 feet tall. Okay, and the temple is already on a, on a hill. If you go to Jerusalem, if you go to old Jerusalem today, you will see the temple mount is on a hill. From any direction, you can see where the temple is. And in these days, before Rome sacked it, there were like huge candelabras, 75 foot tall. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, what would happen, there would be young men who would fill 10-gallon pitchers with oil. And they would climb up these candelabras, and there were four branches that would act as like bowls on the top of the candelabras. And they would empty the oil into the bowls and then ignite it. And at night, you could see that, and that's not it, there would be musicians. The the Levites would come, those in service to the Lord in music, and they would play the harp, the lyre, Symbols, make loud noise, praise the Lord, right? In the temple. And at night, before electricity, you could see for miles around the temple. And it was there to remind the Jews of one, the pillar of fire which the Lord provided to lead them out of Egypt. A great light has come. 
But in the person of Jesus, God's glory was once again present in the temple. And it's in this context, maybe standing beside the same candelabra that was lit the night before, where he says, I am the light of the world. See, how good is that? How good is Jesus? What Jesus is saying to those people and what he says to us today is that remember those lamps that you witnessed last night at our party together? You remember that party we had last night? That's what I am. The light of the world. He says he's the lamp lit up for the entire world to see. He's the one who's on display. It's not our little kingdoms, our little lights that can bring hope to the world. It's Jesus. He brings hope through us. He brings light through us. He's the great light that's set to bring hope to the world. The entire world and even in the darkest places where we look around our city, when most see darkness, the bitter cold weather in winter, buried in snow, we, Vineyard Cleveland, can have hope. When others put their faith in sports teams who always seem to disappoint, we speak life and we live lives that declare to the city that we possess inside of our chests the great light. We possess the great light inside of us. The great light is shining still. He's with us. He's with us. And remember that wherever there is light, there is transformation. Wherever there is light, there is transformation. That's why he says that those who follow him, those who follow him, they will have the light of life. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I just found this great. Let me put it this way for you. After I've done some research this week. Light always has the funny way of transforming things. Light is transferable. Think of it this way. Think of rays of sun hitting a brick wall on a hot day. The rays of sun hitting a brick wall on a hot day. Here's the scientific explanation. Light from the sun beams down. It excites the electrons and the atoms which make up the brick wall. How does that electronic energy get converted to heat, you ask? Well, let me tell you. The key is radiationless transitions. Here's how it works. The atoms of the brick are perpetually vibrating. Some of those atoms vibrate sufficiently, vigorously, that their vibrational energy is roughly equal to the electronic energy, the photons absorbed from the sun. That's a mouthful. In essence, they are in resonance with the solar energy. You see? They're the same frequency. I think I'm getting it. Am I getting it, scientists in the room? Am I understanding? Okay. These atoms, let me go on. These atoms then make a quantum transition from electronically excited to vibrationally excited, meaning that the energy causes the whole atom to start moving. We feel that movement as heat. The atoms which make the jump to vibrational excitation soon collide into neighboring atoms. Bam, 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 bam. Dissipating their vibrational energy throughout the entire brick, making the brick hot throughout. We're like the brick wall as followers of Jesus. As he shines upon us. As we allow the truth of his word to saturate us and fill our very being. As we speak the truth of his words over our lives and over the lives of others. As we become filled with living presence, as we receive encouragement from others and give encouragement, something in us wakes up. 
Adams. Get it? Here it comes. And as it's awakened in us, it begins to shift the culture around us. And we begin to bring the warmth of his presence to those who haven't experienced it yet. Amen? How we long to experience the truth of Revelation 21. When the Apostle John writes, And the city had no need of the sun, no need, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. At the end of his life, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, found it difficult to speak. He was about 87 when he died. He found it difficult to speak because he may have dealt with a stroke. And his last words were this. Before he passed away, he, he was gathered there with a few friends. He sat up straight in bed and he waved his arms frantically. And he said, best of all, God is with us. And then he laid back down. And right before he died, he did it again. He, he um, sat straight up and he waved his arms frantically. And he said, best of all, God is with us. Best of all, God is with us. Don't you want that kind of confidence in life and in death? Don't you want to, this deep-seated assurance that you are going to get through whatever you're going through? You're going to get through it. Open your heart up today and trust God. In any area, you've been saying no to him. Why not repent this morning where you've been unbelieving? Why not repent today and say, God, if I could just have you, that would be enough. Let the money burn. Give me your presence. I want your presence, Lord. Let the big house burn. Give me your presence, Jesus. Give me the light of your presence, firing me up and believing that it's more than just money or houses or a good job or my kids being taken care of. The way to take care of your kids is to love Jesus with all of your heart. Mm, give me your presence, Lord. I want you. You're the hope I need. You're the hope I need for today and the hope I need to get up and out of bed in the morning tomorrow. You're the great light.